Science and medicine are rapidly evolving and so are the products developed by many of our clients. This makes our jobs even more difficult as we try to distill complicated issues in an ever-changing and evolving field or fields for juries in the courtroom. I'm Hildy Sastry, a partner at Shook Hardy & Bacon. I'm Hasia Giolumbi, also a partner at Shook. We're a 130-year-old premier trial firm with 12 offices across the country and in London. We're speaking to you today from Miami, Florida. For the next few minutes, Hasia and I are going to discuss some of the experiences we've had in the courtroom and how they impact our development of trial strategy. Now, Hasia, you've spent much of your career in the consumer product industry uh, with a very heavy focus and emphasis on science and medicine. So how have you found um, that you boil down complex and technical issues so that juries uh, are able to understand what you're talking about? I think the first thing is understanding that jurors, for the most part, this will be their first time walking into a courtroom in an unfamiliar environment and having to deal with complex information. So I think the key in doing that is, first of all, not talking down to the jurors, but understanding that you have to unpackage and break out complex concepts into easy, digestible pieces. And then while doing that, connect those easy digestible pieces to analogies in a juror's daily life, hopefully, um, that they can really access and relate to in understanding the concepts that you're trying to put together. And then sort of build everything back up for the jurors so that they understand what it is at the end that you're trying to convey to them. Right. I, I totally agree with that. I think that um, I think that as lawyers who spend years working on a single case, uh, we become experts within that given field for what's a fairly brief period of time. Uh, and then during that period of time, I think that we really forget when we're talking about everything that we've learned and mastered, I think that we forget how to just speak English to people when we're talking about things. So for example, um, when you're trying a case, I think you can never use an, a an acronym, right? I mean, we just, we have to use the words. And so uh, I think that as lawyers also, we're very focused on being technically correct and precise. And I think that in the courtroom, that it's not really a place for precision during a jury trial. And instead, you need to find ways to speak about things that are um, meaningful, that describe what they are in straightforward, non-legal, non-medical terms. Uh, and I think you have to talk about complex issues in a way that jurors can, obviously, first, we always say they have to be able to understand them uh, because they haven't spent five or six years working on the case like we have, and I think we do forget that. But it's got to be um, talking about issues in a way that's meaningful, easy to understand. Of course, we're always trying to be persuasive, but it's got to be information that the jurors themselves can remember and ideally regurgitate or repeat on your behalf when they're deliberating. I mean, that, that's the idea. If you're not accomplishing that, um, then you're not accomplishing anything during the course of the trial. Now, Hasia, lawyers love war stories. They love to tell them, of course. Um, and so do you have a favorite story that you'd like to share? I think my favorite stories in a courtroom, um, those are the ones where something completely unexpected happens, um, and you end up using that to your advantage in the course of the trial. 
And although it's not a hyper-technical issue, but I think my favorite moment in the courtroom uh, was cross-examining a pastor that had been put up by plaintiff to lend credibility to a very damaging piece of evidence for us. Um, and so, of course, they put this pastor on, and you could tell through the course of the uh, direct examination that they're relying heavily on the fact that this is a pastor, and nobody's going to impugn his credibility. And so, quite frankly, I didn't think I'd ever have to impeach him. So I get up there for the cross, it's going along, and lo and behold, this self-proclaimed man of God, this man of the cloth, <laughs> lies. I was flabbergasted. Um, and it just so happened that I didn't have the right transcripts up there with me. And so there's this pregnant pause where I'm wondering, did this just happen? Oh, my goodness, I don't have the transcripts. And I have to go back with a paralegal rummaging through boxes. And, you know, the judge was amused. The jurors knew something was about to happen. And the judge told me, take your time. And I finally found the transcripts, went back up. And it was just the drama. It was nothing that I had planned. And I got to impeach this pastor. It was amazing. But the best part of it was when I was done, the pastor walked past, when he was, when he was done being on the stand, he walked past plaintiff's counsel, came up to me, exchanged some pleasantries, handed me back my transcripts, and bid me a fair day <laughs> in front of the jury. I mean, that was really icing on the cake. And it's just those moments that tell you trial's never boring. You never know what's going to happen. And really, that's one of my favorite stories. To be honest, I think that we're always wondering um, about the outcome of a trial. So, you know, the cases that we try are high exposure cases by any measure. And they're dangerous cases. I mean, that's the only way to describe them. And if the uh, facts were so perfect or terrific or so great for us, then it probably wouldn't be a trial in the first place. And so I just think as a trial lawyer, you know, never fall in love with your case, never fall in love with your defense. And I think that the most important thing to do, I know that we're always looking for, you know, how do we meaningfully talk about the defenses, so the pros of the case. But I think really, like, the real trick is... Uh, the stuff that we worry about is how do you talk about what plaintiff is saying the problem is and how do you get the jurors to give that the back of their hand? Um, and so that's something that's difficult, and it really it ties into the comments earlier of sometimes two or three very simple phrases that summarize what plaintiffs, you know, they think the strengths of their case are. If you're able to talk about them in a way that's very persuasive, and puts them in a context for the jury that they understand, you know what, maybe that doesn't sit right with me. I don't think this defendant or this client is perfect. I, I may not even like what they do as an industry, but I'm going to put that aside because now I understand that that's really not what this case is about. I'm not going to see that as a question on the verdict form. So I think getting past you know, that kind of stuff, I think that's the stuff that keeps us awake at night. Um, and then I would just say that you know one of my partners here, a guy named Ken Riley, um, describes the work we do as juggling hand grenades. And so I think when you juggle hand grenades, you're always, I mean, you know, your hand should always be a little bit sweaty and your heart beating a little bit fast uh, because sometimes, just like these cases, one of them is going to blow up in your face. Um, you hope it's not often and you hope it's not very painful. Um, so again, I think always, always wondering never overestimating and, um, you know, never being overconfident or too in love with your case. 
We want to remind our listeners that the choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based on any advertising. And the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It's not intended to be any kind of legal advice.